Wednesday morning of the February break for students, students and teachers off this week. Teachers, although we are hearing from pretty much daily, it looks like. We heard from them yesterday. In fact, they held a news conference yesterday where they talked about other provinces that are addressing classroom complexity in their provincial collective agreements. Those provinces, not surprisingly, stood behind the STF in their efforts to try and make that happen here. Today, there's a news conference scheduled for 10 o'clock. And there will, they will be talking about violence in the classroom. They've got teachers that will speak about firsthand experiences. Something tells me we will be hearing from the STF every day this week. And of course, if you follow social media at all, both sides are taking stabs at one another through social media, but no further ahead at the bargaining table. But this does bring out a discussion about the tactics that are being used. In fact, there was an article in the paper just the other day, about whether or not the the tactics that are being used, do they constitute an unfair labor practice? Now, some people say, hey, it's right up to the line. I think that's where it's gone. I don't think, I'm not convinced it's gone over the line, but this is what's up for debate. And one of the people that contributed to that article is Charles Smith, an associate professor of political studies at St. Thomas More College at the University of Saskatchewan. And Charles joins us this morning from his office in Saskatoon. Charles, thanks so much for taking our call. It's really good to be here, Evan. So the recent article that was in the paper over the weekend showed that the province had engaged in uh, basically discussions with renting billboard ad space long before even proposals were exchanged at the bargaining table. What, What are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I think there's a couple of ways to look at it. We have to kind of step back. I mean, I think the province was very much aware that this was going to be a tough round of bargaining. You know, for those who have been paying attention, who have kids in the school district or who have just followed this, this topic, in 2019, the teachers were, had pushed this position on classroom complexity and size. Uh, that was the issue they were, they were working to, towards at the bargaining table, and then COVID hit, and they pulled back. Um, so the province and the teachers, I'm sure, were aware this was coming, right? This issue was coming. Uh, so that might be a part of the government's strategy. Again, I'm not in, in, inside the government's office. I don't know what their strategy is. But certainly, I think when we look at the evidence of looking towards the bargaining table and then taking hard bargaining positions, which, of course, is very legal under our uh, our labor laws, um, and then having this campaign in the background would suggest that there's some question marks about what the strategy is and, and does it push up against our labor codes in terms of labor unfair labor practices are the duty to bargain in good faith. And that's kind of what we were talking about over the weekend. So, you know, I, I because my, my thought was much like you said, I mean, number one, just because they were having those conversations doesn't necessarily mean that they had it in their mind they weren't going to get an agreement. It could be that they were just thinking this might be a bit of a battle. Um, but, but what about it? Where does it cross the line to an unfair labor practice or bargaining in bad faith? Yeah, it's so hard to do that. And I agree with your assessment. There's no question both sides, I think, were gearing up for a struggle. And, you know, whether or not that meant hard bargaining or whether that meant, you know, eventually a strike and who knows what happens out of that. Um, But in our labor laws and when you look at labor board decisions across the country, there's a real fine line between what we call hard bargaining, which is taking a really firm position on, say, wages or benefits or classroom size or complexity, uh, and sort of deliberately saying, we're not going to listen to this issue. We're not willing to compromise anyway. And forget it, this is not going to happen, which would be an unfair labor practice. But, you know, unions and employers have a duty to try and reach an agreement. And when you look at the definition, it's, it differs between labor codes. But one, the one I like is if you see a deliberate strategy to prevent reaching agreement. And that, you know, is sort of the, 
standard language in labor relations codes or acts. And then I think you start looking at, okay, what's the sort of history? What have the parties done? What have they said? What have they done publicly? And then you start building a case that way. Now, I'm not a labor lawyer. I've never argued a case on this for the labor board, but I've read a lot of these cases. And when you start seeing a pattern of behavior, you start asking the question, well, is this pushing up against not hard bargaining, which is legal, but a duty to bargain in good faith, or not not bargaining in good faith, which is an unfair labor practice in America. And that's the question I think we don't have an answer to, but it does raise questions about both the, the position of, I think in this case, the government. Charles Smith is my guest, an associate professor of political studies at St. Thomas More College at the University of Saskatchewan. So lots of moving parts in this labor negotiation, both sides pointing fingers at the other for leaving the table early. Are there yeah. other things during this process from a labor perspective that leave you scratching your head? So I, the question I would ask if I had the minister in front of me, and I've you know, never talked to him, I know you have, Evan, and I know you've talked about this issue, is it seems to me the, the government really wants to talk about wages, which is a completely legitimate argument in front of any bargaining position. Um, the, the teachers have said, listen, wages are a thing, but we really want to talk about this real issue that's been bothering our members for quite a long time. And the government's just said no. And, and, and you know, the teachers have said, no, we don't want to talk about that. And I think those are legitimate positions. But the head-scratching for me comes with all the other things that surround the bargaining. And it's always tough in public sector labor relations, Evan, because there's really three parties at the table, right? There's the union, there's the employer, and there's the public. Um, so you have all these moving parts in this in this, this issue. But what the government's done, and this is the question I have, uh, is, you know, they've, they've had these billboards before bargaining. That was clearly a strategy. They've been, made these policy announcements outside of the bargaining table, which address key issues uh, that the teachers are raising. And it's all happening outside of the table. And I guess the question is, rather than doing that, why aren't they talking about these issues at the table, which would suggest compromise and you know, positions at the table versus doing it outside of that process? raising questions of what's the real motive here. You you brought up the public, Charles. I'm curious, how much does public opinion factor into this labor battle that's unfolding in the province? Evan, I think it's key, right? I think both sides, both the government and the teachers, are trying very hard to win public opinion. I mean, if we believe to the public opinion polls, right now the public seems sympathetic with the teacher position, seems a bit more critical of the government's position. I mean, that, could, of course, could change as labor escalation ramps up, as the teachers have said there, they're thinking of doing post-February uh, uh, break. But I think that's key. I, and that's why you see the minister and many MLAs putting positions forward on social media, in press releases, and the same reason the teachers do the same thing. So I think it's key, because once you see public position moving, that puts pressure on the sides at the bargaining table, and that, I think, is central uh, to getting this, this dispute solved. Chatting with Associate Professor of Political Studies, Charles Smith. So, you know, I, I've speculated on air and, and had this conversation before. The Some of the moves that we're seeing, the government is funding announcements and has pilot projects that are digging into some of these classroom complexity issues, but digging into them with fair chunks of money outside of the bargaining process. Is that a way to show that you're not rigid in your stance should this go to arbitration? Is that part of the strategy there? I wonder. That's a really good question, Evan, and one I actually hadn't thought about until you said it. And I, my, here's my, here'd be the question for me. So governments historically, in the last 20 years or so, not just in Saskatchewan, but right across the country, have been really hesitant to go to binding arbitration. Uh, I don't think they like giving up the levers of their public purse uh, to an arbitrator who may be sympathetic to the union's position. So we've seen a lot of hostility from employers in the public sector moving to binding arbitration. Having said that, if we were to move in that position, the question I would ask, I would wonder an arbitrator deciding, is it is that movement or, or is that trying to undermine getting a deal done at the table? 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, that, that's the question that I don't actually don't have an answer to, and I'd be interested to see what both parties say because, as I said earlier, and you know, this is another question I would ask, and I'm sorry, I would just to be asking, answering your questions with more questions, but. But, you know, why did the province not see this coming long before bargaining sort of reached an impact in December? We knew the teachers' number one priority was classroom size and complexity. They've been saying that for at least five years. Um, and then we start seeing all these pilot projects sort of right at the end of the, when we declare an impact in December or just before. So I guess my question is, what, what was the delay? Why not do this sooner? Why not, you know, so I guess I just don't know what an arbitrator would determine there. But I think both sides would have pretty good arguments to say, one, we're trying to move we don't want to have it in the collective agreement as the government's position is. Or two, we're trying to undermine good faith bargaining because we don't want to put this in the contract and it's just not working for us. And I wonder where the arbitrator would fall. I think that's a really good and interesting question that you've asked and and makes me think. Charles Smith is my guest, Associate Professor of Political Studies at St. Thomas More College at the University of Saskatchewan. So I've asked, actually, both Samantha Beacott, STF President, and Jeremy Cockrell, the Minister of Education, on five separate occasions would you consider going to arbitration? And I would say the answer has consistently been no from the province. And from the teachers, it's been, well, both sides have to agree, and that's not going to happen, so it's not likely going to happen. It hasn't been, as I would say, as hard of a no. Maybe an impossible question for me to put to you, Charles, but what do you think of that process? What do you think an arbitration would yield? It's hard to know, given how far both sides are apart. So I've read the um, conciliators' report, uh, and, you know, it's pretty clear that they're far apart on the main issues. And I guess the main issues would be wages, which is really what the province wants to fight over. I think the province has determined that wages are the number one issue. The teacher's saying, listen, it's not the number one issue. And you see that in the conciliators' report. And having both sides so far apart makes it tough in arbitration to come in and say, well, you've conceded here, you've conceded there. We can find a middle ground uh, here. So I think it would be hard for an arbitrator, not impossible, to come to a, sort of an agreement where both sides are sort of claiming victory or happy. On the other hand, you know, you've got some bad blood on the table, and arbitration can sometimes solve that if the arbitrator is clever enough to sort of find a sort of a neutral ground on certain positions. Where I think it's going to be tough is on the classroom size and complexity, Evan, is that the government has said, and I've never actually heard an answer to this, is why can't it be in the contract? We never hear a clear sort of policy reason as to why that doesn't fit there. And I think that makes it hard for the public to decipher, like, well, we know it exists in other contracts in B.C. and other places, Ontario and Quebec. Why doesn't it work here? And, I, and you know, I know the government said the local school boards are important and so on and so forth, and I think an arbitrator would have to consider that. But the question being, why doesn't it work? And we, we don't have answers to those questions, so it's hard to sort of piece the puzzle together, if that helps. In any yeah, way. and, you know, the other, the other thing, like, my understanding about an arbitration is really it's meant to replicate what would have been agreed to at the table should they have reasonably been able to reach an agreement there. And so yeah. when you've got, even if, if they're, the two sides are so far apart on wages, the answer likely is somewhere in between the two. But Absolutely. but when the issue is one side saying we want this, the other side saying we don't, there's not a little, there's not a lot of gray area in between, and that's where I think it could get interesting. And and and, and a risk, right? Both sides take some risk if they want to go to arbitration because they might actually lose. They might their position might be undermined. So it's a it's a risk and a gamble both for the union and for the government. And that, and what we know historically, and I think I mentioned this earlier, but we know historically that governments over the last 25 years, across the board, all governments, NDP, Conservative, Liberal, have been very hesitant to give up their bargaining power as an employer to arbitrators because they feel that arbitrators sometimes are a little bit too more lenient than they're willing to go. We've just seen that pattern. 
Um, so I think that might also explain some of the hesitation on the employer side. Charles Smith, my guest, Associate Professor of Political Studies. So before I let you go, just a couple of quick questions, and one of them may be pushing you into an area uh, maybe maybe uncomfortable to answer, but <laughs> I wouldn't have thought that the province would want a fight like this heading into an election. Now, I've heard it said, well, you know, the, the base followers of the SASC party um, think a certain way, but knowing that there's a bit of turmoil in the province and, and we're seeing maybe some shifting and moving at the polls, what are your thoughts about having this fairly large public battle with the teachers union in the same year that we're having an election? It seems like there's no upside for the government, uh, in my very humble opinion. Um, you know, I do wear a political science hat sometimes, and I try and sort of think about these things. And well, the question I, I would ask the government is like, you know, I, I, well, let me put it this way. I think what we're seeing in terms of movement in the polls, especially in the main urban centers where we're seeing a lot of the concentration or the movement in terms of the polling. Uh, there, obviously, I think the SDF and their struggle has a lot to do with some of that movement. I think that's a, a question mark for me. Now, I think you're right. I think there is a core base of the Saskatchewan Party of the Conservative movement in Canada that is very hostile to labor unions, and you know all the same sort of rhetoric comes out about greed and all these other things, Evan. So I think that they might want to spin it as saying we're trying to defend the public purse and the union isn't working. Uh, for you, we are kind of, there might be some truth to that sort of narrative on the right, but it does open up space in the center left that is interesting to me. Also worth remembering, and I, you know, this, I don't know if this is part of the dialogue, but we know that the nurses are going into bargaining uh, this spring, and who knows how that's going to go. We know other public sector unions are gearing up for bargaining, and we don't know how that's going to go. So if there's a narrative about public services and funding and whether they're working or not, and you're seeing all this labor strife, there's a political risk for the government. I think there's no question about that. So there's definitely some political question marks in the next six to eight months that we're going to have to we'll be watching really closely. So it's like if I use a sports analogy, we've talked about the big game, but I haven't asked you who's, who you think's going to win. Uh, now that you've got your crystal ball in front of you, how do you see this ending? Uh, you know what? I don't know. And I, I think because both sides are so entrenched, I, what I, I mean, there's so many different scenarios. So if we saw a full-scale strike, which I think the teachers are kind of hesitant to do in terms of just pulling every teacher out of the classroom, no more work until this is settled, uh, you know, it's your classic strike, um, I think the government would, would panic and they would want to do something like back-to-work legislation. I could see that future. Um, I could see some more hard bargaining, and maybe we get some contract language on the issues of size and complexity. Maybe the government feels the pressure and wants, wants to get a deal settled. Uh, maybe the union starts to start get nervous about whether its membership is solidly behind these positions. Although we would, you know, we know there was a solid strike mandate, but you know, not getting paid, being on the picket line, sometimes it can weaken solidarity in the union. So all these things are possible uh, going forward. So it, I don't have a crystal ball, Evan. I wish I did. I would, you know, I'd probably be. Making a lot more money than I am. Uh, making predictions uh, like we could talk about the American election and who's going to win that one. But nevertheless, I don't know. But uh, I think there are some real scenarios that we've seen historically, both in Saskatchewan and elsewhere. Um, we see that these pressure tactics tend to make people move. And I think that's what we're going to see. We're going to see some movement. We're going to see more struggle. And how it ends is really a big question mark. Well, I appreciate you giving us some time today, Charles. Thanks so much. It's great talking to you, Evan. Thanks so much. Charles Smith, Associate Professor of Political Studies at St. Thomas More College at the University of Saskatchewan. Teachers, we hear from them at 10 o'clock. They've got a news conference scheduled today focusing on violence in the classroom. Yet to be determined whether or not we will hear about more job action 
after this February break. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. For joining us this morning, I'm Evan Bray, and we are ready to open up the phone lines for you. one 332 8255 Coming up between 10 and 11, you decide what we're going to talk about. There's been so many things we've discussed. Teachers and the battle that's going on between the province and the STF. The shelter challenge in Saskatoon. Maybe you're still worked up over Charlie Angus not wanting to promote fossil fuels. In fact, making it criminal if you think about doing that. The Arrive can debacle that's gone on. It doesn't matter what it is. The phone lines are open for you. one 332 8255 An hour of open lines and open phones next on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.